Welcome to the show. I'm your host, Dr. Mike Wall. Well, today we're going to look into the world of cannabis impairment and what we know and what we don't know. As cannabis is legalized and readily available, confusion still exists among many about how it may or may not impair them and how long the effects of it last before we're back to normal function. So today we dive into the world of cannabis impairment research and explore why it's so important. With the legalization in Canada, it's crucial that we have a clear understanding of the effects of cannabis on the human body and mind. So today we'll discuss the first human cannabis impairment trial in the province that's being done by our research team. We'll discuss why we wanted to research this topic, including how we plan to measure cognitive function, motor skills, and reaction times of individuals at various time points after consumption. We'll also talk about the challenges and limitations of conducting cannabis impairment research and why it's important to have accurate and reliable data in this area. Now we'll start and end the show with a PhD candidate who'll be conducting the study, pharmacist Wasim Abu Ashur, and then chat with Chris Crosby, COO of Atlantic Cultivation, who are partnered in the research to see how cannabis impairs the body. We'll then chat with Dr. David Bain from the School of Human Kinetics and Recreation on the types of tests that he'll be using to determine impairment. It's an interesting episode on the research that's being done right here at home in a research study that the general population can participate in. Let's check in with Wasim and learn more. Hey, Wasim, welcome to the show. Hey, Mike, thanks for having me. Well, you know, I, we have to be on the show right now. We have to talk about some exciting stuff we've got coming up. Obviously, I'm a researcher, but for those people that are listening, tell people a little bit about your background and some of the exciting work you got going on right now. Thank you. Uh, so uh, my background is a pharmacist. I've been a practicing pharmacy for a while. Um, and then I got interested in research, specifically epidemiology and health outcomes. Uh, so currently right now, I'm finishing up my working on my PhD in health outcomes research and epidemiology through Memorial University. Uh, so I'm working on different projects and different fields, but one of them I'm actually excited about to kind of maybe share with you uh, and tell you more about. Yeah, that's exactly. And, you know, this is mostly for the people listening today because I get to be involved in this research, which is excellent because it comes right down the the line of applied physiology and understanding how the body responds to different things. So tell everybody about the unique research that we have going on right now. We're working on a cannabis project, Mike. We have um very limited understanding of uh, impairment of cannabis on certain timelines. So we really wanted to understand how cannabis affects different people at different timelines. So as you know, cannabis has become more widespread and consumption has increased within Canada, right? Since legislation. And one thing is that the impairment or, or how it affects people, uh, it's different from one person to one person, depending on what form they consume, how often they consume it, and vice versa. So this is kind of where it kind of sparked. We really wanted to understand the impairment that cannabis has on the general population and how it affects them, how it affects their cognition, how it affects their physical function, you know, to perform their daily functions. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of like what we started working on. And basically, we wanted to look at people who are not regular consumers of cannabis. So infrequent users of cannabis, because, you know, there's a lot of the general population who are not that regular users of cannabis. So yeah, so that's basically the, the kind of our research question. And once we pinned that out, Mike, what I did, I kind of seeked 
funding for this project. So we came up with our research proposal on this topic and we uh, submitted it to a funding agency. The funding agency is called MyTax. So for people who are not aware what MyTax is, it's a government agency that basically helps graduate students um, in universities to do a research project's with different industry partners out there if there's a research project they work on so we we had this idea we went to my tax and then we sought out a local industry partner within newfoundland to help us with this project and then we got funding cool well i, mean, I think that you know for people that are listening it's really important for them to understand is that you know when legislation came in about cannabis you know it was readily available and We've all gone through lots of training over the years to learn about the risks of, say, smoking or alcohol or different things that can change us. So, for example, alcohol is a perfect example, how it can cause impairment, but there's not a lot of information when it comes to the impairment that's in cannabis. And the different thing about cannabis versus other substances is that it stays in our body longer. So just because it's in our body longer, is it affecting us longer? So there's a lot of confusion around that about what impairment was. And for me, on a physiological side of things, and also on a safety side of things, it's really important for people that are going to consume anything to understand how it could potentially impact them. And, you know, you, you kind of touched on it, but why is it so important that you start off by looking at people that are infrequent users versus people that are consuming it on a regular basis? No, for sure. That's actually a really good question, Mike. The thing is with, um, like I mentioned, it, it affects people differently, but people who are infrequent users, those are the people or the, the, the part of the population that would actually be affected if they do consume cannabis. But the thing is, like you said, again, and what the literature is out there, the degree of impairment, how much it would affect them, we don't really know. There's not a lot of information, first of all, on how much it would affect them. It, it would actually affect their you know, physical function or capability of doing their work. And for how long? Usually there are different tests to test the level of cannabis in the body. There's blood, there's, you know, through urine, uh, there's saliva. Now, depending on who does the testing, some people do the blood, some people do the urine, some people do the saliva. And depending on each test, the levels of cannabis in the system would vary depending on the test. Not only that, we also, this is kind of what made us want to test this more and study this more. You know, we wanted to see the correlation between, is there actually an association between the level of cannabis in a body at a certain time uh, after, you know, they use cannabis and would that actually affect their function? So one of the things that I think is very important and um, we're hoping to come out of the study is that if there are certain traces of cannabis in the body, either through urine, blood, or saliva, first of all, how much is enough for someone to say it would actually affect them or affect their function? You know, there, we have a lot of people either they do rotational work or, you know, they, they go back to an office after a vacation or whatnot. Now, you know, if they are infrequent users and they had edibles or they smoke cannabis at some point and then they went back to their workforce, if there is any traces left in their body, would it actually be correlated to impairment of function? They're not capable of doing their, their job. So mm -hmm. I guess this is where we really wanted to understand, first of all, that we wanted to target this section of the population. And those people would actually be the type of population that will be affected by cannabis. We yeah. also want to see the association between cannabis, if there's any traces in the, in the body that would actually have any effect or correlation to their function. 
Right. Well, I mean, that makes sense. So, so what we're saying is that essentially somebody who is an infrequent user of cannabis potentially have a more profound effect on the body because they're not as accustomed to it. Secondly, cannabis stays in the body longer. So just because it's in the body, does that constitute an impairment over time? And then we have to base impairment on different tests. And one thing that really stood out to me when we started looking at this initial question was most of the impairment tests that exist look at things like driving right? But the type of tests that we're going to be looking at are going to be very different than that. We're going to be looking at physical tests, some cognitive tests, some problem solving, some balance tests, things that are more complex in nature that may relate more to that person that's going to an industrial setting or doing a job that's safety sensitive to see whether or not that impairment is going to last over a long period of time. You know, when you go and do this, maybe you can walk the people through the various steps that need to be taken in order to do a study that involves something that actually impairs people. Just to add on that, Mike, also uh, a lot of studies that, like you said, when they did look at impairment of cannabis, either driving, which a lot of studies have looked into that, or just, you know, basic cognition, a lot of them looked at a specific timeline, which is, you know, within a few hours, 24 hours, 48 hours. So one thing we brought new and we're hoping to add to shed more light on it is we wanted to see on a longer scale, right? So we, we did, we wanted to do testing in different timelines. So what we're hoping to do, we're hoping to get participants involved in our study and the ages of people who would be eligible to be part of our study is between 19 years old to 65 years old. The reason we have that, we wanted to have a range of, of adult population just to get any idea of how it affect different people at different ages. And what we're hoping to do once we get those participants, we're hoping to do the basic test just to see how the baseline of their physical function, cognition function, uh, we're also going to take some blood samples, urine samples, and saliva swabs. So this would act as our benchmark. And then after that, we're going to give them a type of cannabis. As you know, there's depending on the THC or the CBD concentration. So the one that we'll be providing, the THC concentration, which is an active concentration of cannabis, would be around 16%. And the CBD is going to be very, very small. It's not even going to be 0.09%. Like I said, for people who are infrequent users, we agreed on working with researchers and also with our industry partner that this would be an appropriate choice. So once we give those people that sample to smoke it, and then we're going to do a different testing, Mike. And this is where kind of I go back to different timelines. So the testing that we want wanted to do, we wanted to do on different timelines. So we start by an hour after they smoke cannabis, and then six hours after, we're going to see the, again, the physical function, cognition, and we're going to do the blood, urine, and saliva swap. And then we're going to do it again in 12 hours, and then we're going to do it again in 24 hours, again in 48 hours, and then later again in seven days. So basically we will have a range from before they smoke to one hour after up to seven days. And all of these timelines, we're going to be testing how their function is, if it's actually impaired or not, the degree of impairment. And we're also going to be taking blood, urine, and saliva. And we're going to test the active component of cannabis in those sample and then compare it against these timelines. So this will actually give us more of an idea of how much impairment and correlated to the levels of THC in their body to see if it actually affects them or not uh, in different timelines. Today we're talking about a new research study on cannabis impairment here in Newfoundland. 
The research is testing the impacts of cannabis ingestion on infrequent users. And this is defined as people who have used cannabis at least once before or use it approximately once per month. The testing will include several different time periods over the course of 1, 3, 6, 12, 24, and 48 hours, as well as seven days later after ingestion. Now this is done to see how long impairment actually lasts. Now if you're interested in participating, you can contact Wasim at WMAA75 at mun.ca or contact us at The Wall Show on our social media channels. Now when we come back, we'll chat with Chris Crosby about the different types of cannabis and what we need to know as consumers. Welcome back. We're here with Chris Crosby, COO of Atlantic Cultivation. He's an expert on cannabis and is going to walk us through what we need to know about cannabis as a consumer. Let's check it out. Hey, Chris, welcome back to the show. Hey, Mike. Pleasure to be on again. That's great. I always love picking your brain. You know everything about cannabis. And, you know, you are the COO of Atlantic Cultivation. Can you tell me a bit about your organization? Yeah, certainly. Atlantic Cultivation uh, was founded after I returned home from living in California, and they had uh, very early days medical legalization in North America called Proposition 215. So I had been uh, growing for a collective group of patients there and graduated from university. And as I was working in the oil and gas industry with my family business, Trudeau got elected, and then obviously the problems with legalization of cannabis uh, started to be talked about. And I think I remember drawing the building on land cultivation on a piece of graph paper in about 2017. And then it took several years to go through the licensing process to find people that believed in the opportunity as well, which very luckily we found two other uh, Newfoundland investment groups. And it's a fully Newfoundland run uh, organization and Newfoundland owned. And after several years of construction and working with the government on an employment agreement to uh, create jobs in the cannabis industry, they gave us additional retail licenses. So in the last two years, we've opened up eight different retail stores and we have a fully functioning cannabis cultivation and processing facility. And we are one of the largest growers and processors in Atlantic Canada. Well, yeah, I've been up there. It's quite an operation, I got to say. And there's so much to it. It's, it's not a simple plant. Let's put it that way. And I know you could talk literally for days on all the different aspects of it. But if you were to give our listeners sort of a Coles Notes version on what cannabis is and what the different properties of it are, what would you tell us? Cannabis is a miraculous plant. Uh, We've only scratched the surface on the effects and all the different phytochemicals in it that are responsible for that. People consume it for so many different reasons. Uh, I started doing it uh, as a, you know, recreationally when I was quite young. And then I later in life, after some injuries with martial arts, founded uh, medicinal benefits as well. And for me, I mean, cannabis can be really broken down into different quality categories, much like fine wine. I think it has uh, as many or more notes uh, to judge the characteristics on. There's aroma and bag appeal, the taste. Uh, and then there's also that subjectivity to the uh, the high itself, which is uh, certainly certain uh, solution or mixture of uh, cannabinoids. Um, flavonoids, terpenes, and all these other more rarely talked about phytochemicals. And that's really what uh, interests me is the potency of the total amount of THC on cannabis Uh, can tell very little sometimes about the experience. And then when you see a very high uh, terpene cannabis, that's a mid potency, can deliver a very uh, different effect. And there's different uh, physical elements to that, like pressure behind the eyes, uh, sleepiness, energy, and things like that. And I think 
that's where a lot of these opportunities for research, I think, are going to be amazing. And uh, Canada has got the opportunity to lead the world in that now. And that excites me. And to be able to create jobs and bring people who are also that passionate about the plant into a legal opportunity and create careers for them has been the most satiating experience in my life to date. Well, that's right. And that's right. And, you know, and and so, you know, for listening to that, you just mentioned a whole bunch of different reasons that, that people would consume it. And I guess that, you know, the reason why it has an impact on us is because of, you know, the two main categories we're going to see, like you mentioned terpenes and other aspects and characteristics of it. But if you were to explain THC and CBD, which are things that people are going to yeah. see when they go to buy something at one of your, one of your stores, explain what they would do and what the impacts of them are. Yeah. So, you know, the, the chemical, these are the chemicals that are regulated. Certain cannabinoids are regulated by Health Canada and taxed. And then the process to cultivate that plant, we have to pass third-party external testing to validate that it was uh, a clean product. There were chemicals used that are registered by the CFIA um, and a lot of things to do with Health Canada for food safety. Now, what's interesting is like you said, when you come into one of our stores, the main driving marketing decision for most people in Canada at the moment is going to be the THC percentage. So the total amount is basically directly contributed to the potency and the effect of the cannabis. Unfortunately, there's a lot of elements that are deeper than that, that really uh, drive, I think, consumers to have a good experience. But because of the regulations by Health Canada and what has to be stated on the front label, we do only test for THC and CBD at the moment, mm-hmm. which is interesting because there's whole other cannabinoids out there that aren't even regulated, such as Delta-8, uh, Delta-10, and, and all these uh, new chemicals that are converted from CBD through a conversion process and have the same psychoactive effects. But you know they, they're not even talked about or regulated, and it's just a whole worlds of chemicals out there that can have these effects on you. Like if you were to look at THC under a microscope, uh, it's going to look molecularly the exact same from strain to strain, plant to plant. The only other thing is going to be how, how much THC is there. Uh, and that could be directly contributed to how many glandular trichomes there are, like qualitatively, visibly on the plant. And some uh, glandular trichome heads have higher amounts of THC and CBD in them. Um, but beyond that, these chemicals look exactly the same under a microscope. So really, uh, the the real distinguishing factor comes down to taste and aroma and how high you get, which is very subjective. And you can't tell that. Like THC is THC from one plant to the other, but other chemicals do exist. So if you smell a plant uh, that has a very lemony smell, it has limonene in it, which is consistent with actual lemon. And they are what change the aromatic effect and the also the taste of it as well. But this also drives consumers to like different strains of cannabis. And it has little to do with uh, how much THC or how much CBD is is in there beyond a certain point. Uh, there's definitely a diminishing returns. But unfortunately, we do only report on CBD and THC at the moment uh, oh. for Health Canada. So it does drive most of the consumer decisions. That's right. Well, I think that's, you know, that that was really effective at explaining just how complex the plant is and how many different things. And so the research that we're going to be looking at is going to be looking at the, those physical and cognitive effects if they choose to consume it, but also could lead to impairment if they aren't careful of understanding yes. how it impacts their body. But as somebody who is distributing and cultivating, why do you feel it's important to participate in all sorts of research around cannabis? 
this this opportunity here really excites me um, just because I think there's still a lot of stigma as well on uh, just from misunderstanding about the plant and those effects on people and especially uh, how acute those effects can be and how they dissipate over time. And a lot of different industries uh, at the moment will do a pretty broad panel testing for, for uh, THC in your system. But for novice consumers, I think it can be an incredibly um, psychoactive experience if your tolerance is down low and understanding that relationship through this research and how it can impact people's lives working in other industries is, is very exciting to me. Um, and this is the first time, even being involved in the cannabis industry so long, this is the first time I've ever had the opportunity to contribute to any type of legitimate research. And to me, that's just the nature of the energy and interest and uh, opportunity with this industry that we have in Canada. This is a legal industry where we can partner with people in academia like yourself and uh, really do meaningful work that could change people's lives. And this is very exciting for me. I agree. And, uh, you know, this is the first human subjects that we're going to be using for cannabis impairment and for cannabis effect in the province. So it does open up the door for lots of other things going forward. So I really appreciate you sharing your wealth of knowledge with us. Like I said, I know we could talk for hours and hours and hours on on all the different things because you really understand the industry and the plant. But uh, for anybody listening, I'm sure they got a lot out of hearing you today. Thanks so much. Thanks, Mike. My pleasure. Today we're talking about a new research study on cannabis impairment here in Newfoundland. The research is testing the impacts of cannabis ingestion on infrequent users. And this is defined as people who have used cannabis at least once before or use it approximately once per month. The testing will include several different time periods over the course of 1, 3, 6, 12, 24 and 48 hours, as well as 7 days later after ingestion. Now this is done to see how long impairment actually lasts. Now, if you're interested in participating, you can contact Wasim at WMAA75 at mun.ca or contact us at The Wall Show on our social media channels. When we come back, we'll chat with Dr. David Baim about the various physiological tests that can be used to test impairment and why he chose those tests for the study. Stick around. We'll be right back. Welcome back. We're here with Dr. David Bain from the School of Human Kinetics and Recreation, who's a world-renowned exercise physiologist. He's going to share what kinds of tests can demonstrate impairment and why they were chosen for our upcoming cannabis impairment research. Let's check it out. Hi, Dr. Bain. Welcome back to the show. Hi, Mike. How's it going today? Fantastic. Well, today we're going to be chatting about some really interesting work, probably something that's even novel for you, and that's actually testing for cannabis impairment. Now, you're a physiologist, but maybe we could start off by talking about what impairment really is. Like, what's the definition of somebody being impaired? Well, an impairment is a, a decrease in performance or detriment in performance. So we're going to look at a number of different measures. And of course, you know, when you go to work, you have an expectation that you can uh, operate at a certain level. And uh, not operating at a certain level might not only be a, a problem for the workplace and your efficiency, but also might be a problem for your health. So we want to take a look and see if there's significant um, impairments, deficits, decreases in, um, in some of the physical factors that we're going to take a look at. Yeah, and I think that's one of the things that people may not understand about impairment is that most people don't know they're impaired. That's why it's called impairment. They assume that they're operating at a normal level, but they may not actually be. Now, as a physiologist, how are you actually able to measure this deficit? 
Well, we're going to measure a number of different uh, factors. Uh, we're going to take a look at reaction time, balance, force or strength, and endurance, and, and the rate of force development as well. So some of the tests are pretty easy. In fact, like the uh, reaction time, you can just go on the web and find a reaction time test. And that's basically what we've done. We use one of those web tests, and all they have to do is uh, tap the computer when the light goes on. So it's pretty simple, but you think, well, how do you know tapping a computer? How is that going to you know uh, integrate with a person at work? Well, maybe they won't be able to work the computer as fast. How important is that? No, it's not that important. But it's it's not just tapping a computer. That reaction time test will relate to other things. Like let's say you're driving and a, a moose you know, jumps out in front of you, or somebody is you know, moving across the, uh, the midline uh, and coming at you, that's when you have to have real great reaction time. So just the finger tap is just an indication to us that there is a problem with reaction time, and that would relate to all types of movements in, in your body. Mm-hmm. So then, of course, you've got balance. Well, we've got this test called the, the standing stork test. So you, you know, imagine, think of a stork, and they're standing in the water where they do, they stick one of their legs up and they just stand on one leg. But we do the exact same thing. We're going to have a person stand on one leg and then we're going to do it with their eyes open and their eyes closed. And we're going to see how long they can stand up until they kind of fall over. Mm-hmm. Now, again, it sounds like a stupid little test, but again, it's just a general indication of a person's balance. And so, again, you can imagine that, you know, if you're a military personnel or your police personnel, very important to keep your balance when you have to contend with, with somebody else. You're working offshore and there's waves and you're trying to move pipes or something and you fall over. You can really injure yourself. Anybody, of course, can injure themselves when they fall over and, and, and break something. Construction workers, you're working up on the roof and you're putting the shingles on. You got to have good balance. Mm-hmm. So, um, and, and then often what will happen is that, of course, your balance is, is a combination of, of what happens in your head, the vestibular, and then what's called proprioception, the information you get from your body. So we're going to do eyes open, so you get all the stimuli coming in, but we're also going to do eyes closed because without vision, your balance is off as well. And, and again, sometimes you're not going to have uh, something to focus on when you're doing your balance. So we want to take a look at both of those. Then, of course, there's a lot of uh, occasions where you need to use maximal strength. So again, think of those guys in the offshore that have to help to lift up big pipes, or somebody who's working in a uh, as a, a maybe a plumber who has to have a um, a wrench and try and get something loose. There's all sorts of, and again, back to the military and the police, lots and lots of jobs where you need to have your your maximum strength. So we're going to test that. Then we're going to test when you're testing maximum strength, the rate at which you can exert that strength, because you need to sometimes do that really quickly in order to accomplish uh, what you need to do. Mm-hmm. And then uh, also another thing we're going to look at, so when we have the maximum strength, then we're going to look at movement control. So we're going to take like a percentage of that maximum strength. So let's say you could uh, do a grip strength of 100 pounds. Mm-hmm. We're going to say, okay, now here's 10 squeeze 10 pounds and hold that for 10 seconds on that line. Can you hold it on that line? Now, again, now we're, we're not getting into probably the people who are you know, working with pipe wrenches, but now we're looking at people who need to do very fine motor control. You know, maybe you are working on a, uh, uh, on a computer. Maybe you're a crane operator. 
Can you imagine a crane operator and has to do that big, huge machine and tons of, of material and he, he or she has to, you know, place it someplace and now you don't, you can't control it. Mm-hmm. Or how about a uh, air traffic controller? You know, they need very smooth control of what they're doing. So we're going to take a look at that and then we're going to take a look at their, their endurance. You know, how long does it take them fatigue? So put that all together and it's going to give us a lot of indications about uh, people's physical capacities and how they are impaired or decreased um, and for how long with the cannabis use. I think that's really important. And I think that, you know, for people that haven't done scientific research before, maybe you can talk about why we would do a baseline test before they ingested it and then why you do subsequent tests over time and what that data on performance sort of tells us as a trend. Well, of course, you need the baseline because we need to know what happens in a normal situation. So we're going to bring them in and we'll do either what you call a baseline or a pretest. And so now with no external stimuli, cannabis, alcohol, et cetera, we're going to see how they normally operate. Mm-hmm. And once we know how they normally operate, then we can do, as we say in science, the intervention. Mm-hmm. You know, in, in science, in my science, typically the intervention might be uh, a fatigue test or it might be standing on a on a, a balance board or something. In this case, the intervention, of course, is cannabis. Mm-hmm. So they're going to smoke some cannabis like they would if, if that's the kind of thing that they do. And uh, then we want to see, okay, how long does it uh, work? Because there's all sorts of regulations around. Because the, you know, the regulations are different across provinces regarding when you can go back to work after you smoke your cannabis. Mm-hmm. So can you go back to work you know, six hours later or 12 hours later or 24 hours later? You can imagine if you're not uh, familiar with cannabis, most of us are familiar with drinking alcohol. And if you overdrank one night and um, you get up six hours later and you've got a hangover, you're still not going to be normal. Mm-hmm. So I wouldn't want you operating a crane if you're coming to me and you're hungover and you were drinking six hours later. Right. So how about cannabis? You're, you smoke cannabis uh, eight o'clock, nine o'clock last night, and then um, you have to get up you know, 12 hours later. Uh, is there still, if you've got, you know, some jobs, you know, it's, it's not really crucial to be really precise. But like I said, crane operators, military people, uh, air traffic controllers, we need precision and um, people's lives could be in danger if you don't have that precision. Well, and I think that's one of the things that, you know, gets confusing is that cannabis is different than something like alcohol, which clears the system relatively quickly. Cannabis remains in the system, so it may still show up on a test whether or not they are impaired over a long period of time. And you had to go through the various research when you were designing these tests. You know, is there a bit of a gap when it comes to what's been researched in cannabis when you compare it to something like alcohol? Yes. Well, of course, you know, it's a lot more difficult to study cannabis because up until how long have we legalized cannabis? Two years or something or so? Mm-hmm. Um, so, of course, with every piece of research, you need to do ethics. You get an ethics committee. So it's pretty easy to get ethics to do research in alcohol because alcohol has been, you know, been legal for 100 years since prohibition. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's legal for thousands of years before that. Mm-hmm. But cannabis has only been legal, uh, you know, for, for a very short period of time. So it's very difficult to get the ethics. So therefore, you know, people, you know, tended not to do as much research in this area because it's more difficult to get that, that ethical uh, concern. And then there's also 
you know, even now there's still a, a social stigma in some cases, you know, people think, oh, that person's smoking cannabis, you know, you don't get that social stigma by drinking beer, drinking fine scotch. Mm-hmm. So it's difficult to find as many subjects as well, because again, you don't have as many people smoking cannabis as you do drinking beer. Mm-hmm. That's true. And that's true. And so, you know, from your side of things, as somebody who gets a chance to be able to do the research that leads to changes. What do you hope this research accomplishes for impairment research for cannabis? Well, I, I hope to find two th- two major things. The first is what is the extent of impairment? Um, you know, are, are we talking you know fifty percent slower reaction time, forty percent less strength, thirty uh, percent less endurance? Who knows? And then. The timeline, you know, maybe we get major, like we're going to test them one hour after they smoke. I hypothesize we're going to see some major deficits in many of our measures. Then we're going to test them three hours, six, 12, 24, 48, and seven days later. Mm-hmm. Well, I, I'm, I'm pretty well, I'm pretty well sure that seven days later, we're not going to see much, but we don't really know about the the, the three, six, 12, 24 hours, 48 hours, those, I, I think those are the areas that are really interesting and uh, will let us know about the safety, not of the person, but the safety of other people when that person is working in that area. Agreed, agreed. And I think that's the important thing about science is you have to investigate things that you might not know the answers of. So it's great that we've got a team put together that can allow us to test it from so many different angles. So thank you so much for joining me today and uh, good luck in the testing. I appreciate the opportunity. Have a great day. Today we're talking about a new research study on cannabis impairment here in Newfoundland. The research is testing the impacts of cannabis ingestion on infrequent users. And this is defined as people who have used cannabis at least once before or use it approximately once per month. The testing will include several different time periods over the course of 1, 3, 6, 12, 24 and 48 hours, as well as 7 days later after ingestion. Now this is done to see how long impairment actually lasts. Now, if you're interested in participating, you can contact Wasim at WMAA75 at mun.ca or contact us at The Wall Show on our social media channels. When we come back, we'll check back in with Wasim to learn more about this research. Stick around. We'll be right back after the break. Welcome back. We're here with Wasim Abu Ashur, who's a pharmacist and PhD candidate who will be conducting the cannabis impairment research. Let's check it out. If somebody wants to be involved, it sounds like they, they have to be on site and they have to go through a little test. And obviously, I know this testing regimen for people, but maybe you could give them a quick summary of that and then tell them how they could uh, get a hold of you if they wanted to be a subject in the study. No, for sure. And I also just wanted to bring out this point, Mike, maybe to reassure anyone who's interested in being a part of this study or wanting to know more about the study. So we actually applied officially through a grant application process and we got funding for the study. Not only that, we did apply through ethics in Newfoundland. So this was reviewed by the ethics board. We They looked at our proposal in detail. So they looked at it and then we got approval to our study. So everything is legitimate in, in, in that sense. Uh, We do have the resources and we do have the space. Now, the way, I guess, like I said, the testing that they should be more aware of is that it's just the the different timelines of testing. As I mentioned, the test we're going to be doing to test the physical function and cognition function, that's going to take about half an hour uh, to do the test. 
And then the other half an hour will be done by a registered practice nurse that they're going to be taking blood, urine, and saliva. And then we're going to repeat it again an hour after, and then six hours after, 12 hours, 24, 48, and seven days. So every time they come in, they're expected to stay on our site for an hour. And then depending on if when is the next test, they would stay until the next test. They do have an option of going back to their place and then coming back. But it's very important for us to have those specific timelines to do the test. Okay, so walk me through this protocol. So essentially, people get tested at baseline, they consume a form of cannabis, and then they are put through this gauntlet of tests. First, uh, maybe you could tell me what some of these physical and cognitive tests are. And then secondly, do people have to stick around for seven days straight in a, in a lab or do they get a chance to, to get a break in between their testing? No, no, that's that's very fair, Mike. So the testing basically is going to be done. Like I said, it's going to be done by um, our team. So a part of our research team, as I mentioned, um, it's you with Faculty of Medicine. And also we have a researcher in kinesiology, another researcher in pharmacy as well. So the kinesiology team, what they're going to be doing, they're going to be testing the patients or the participants uh, with regards to them, um, how the, the grip, the function, um, you know, uh, focus. So there's specific tests that are going to be done, but that test is only going going to be around 30 minutes of their time. Now, after that, a nurse will take a blood sample, urine sample, and a basic saliva swap. As I mentioned, we have a baseline, and then they're going to smoke cannabis, and then they're going to do, we're going to do another test an hour after. So obviously, they're going to stay on site for that. Now, the third test will be around after six hours of the testing. This is where they, the participants would have an option. Either they would stay on site, and we do have couches, we have meals, snacks there for them to be comfortable until the next test is, or they have an option of us sending them home. As you know, after they smoke cannabis, they're not even uh, not allowed to, to drive or anything like that. So we're going to make sure that they get home safely if they decide to, or they stay there for the six hours. Now, with regards to the 12 hours, 24, 48, and seven days, no, they go back to, to, uh, to their house. And then once the, the testing, the second, the next testing comes in, they come back to our site. And again, I will stress, trust this, that we will be responsible of getting participants back to their place. They don't need to drive in or out of our study site. Mm -hmm. And that's important. I think that, you know, you're studying impairment and obviously they can't be impaired when they're going to do those things. And, you know, for people that are listening, uh, human ethics trials and, and putting things through these, these rigorous processes, these, are, first of all, are essential for proper research. But secondly, what they do is they're compared to best practices. They ensure the safety of the individual. They ensure the research question is worth looking at it. So it's a very rigorous process. And, you know, when, when you talk about the research that's been done in the province on humans when it comes to cannabis, maybe you could explain just how novel this research is. No, for sure. Honestly, Mike, we're really excited about this research for different reasons. Number one, I think we're shedding light on cannabis use, first of all, in the province and also in this general population. Again, we're looking at how much impairment it would cause on different timelines. And as I mentioned in the literature out there, there's not a lot of studies that have been done the way that we kind of designed our study, number one, and also the timeline, which is up to seven days. Another thing we're very excited about, this is going to be the first study to our knowledge that's going to be done in the province on actual participants and doing the test to see the impairment and the blood levels. So it's very novel to, to our province, and it's very novel in, in this area as well. 
And it's great that, you know, we've got industry partners, we've got funding agencies, university that are all interested in finding this answer. And I think it's very responsible by all parties to, to be able to determine, you know, what is the impairment level? How long does it last so that people can use it responsibly and understand the impacts before they consume it? Because it is legal substance and people do have a choice to, to use it, but it is up to them to make sure that they understand the impact it's going to have on them so that they can be safe and keep everybody else around them safe. Now, as a researcher, you obviously chose to do this. What makes you most excited about this research? And what would you tell somebody that's listening that that might want to be getting involved with this and about why they should participate? No, that's that's very fair. Honestly, um, the reason I'm very excited about this, just because, like as I mentioned, cannabis has become very widespread within Canada and consumption is it has increased. But what I think what we're most excited about, we really wanted to understand does the effect or the magnitude of impairment of cannabis in different timelines. And especially when people want to know how would it affect me in my life, in my daily life, with school, with workforce, you know, or if there's any testing going to be done through a saliva or urine. So we're going to have a lot of information on that to, sh to shed light on this on this topic. Especially as, as I mentioned in, in Newfoundland right now, this is going to be one of the first study that's done of its kind on active participants, rather than just, you know, looking at studies that are out there in different population, in different countries, maybe different regulations. So I think it's very exciting to have that locally in our province. <clears throat> Another thing I would also want to, I, I, I kind of mentioned the process of doing the study. I want to reassure again that the participants, who whoever is listening out there that might want to be a part of it, number one, you would actually be actively participating in generating results for our study to be used in our province and for people who want to know about impairment in cannabis. So I think that's number one. Another thing is that you should know that this has been thoroughly reviewed by the ethics committee, and we have a competent team of researchers who are going to be there. We have competent nurses. They're going to be there as well. And the tests that are going to be done, they're not going to be invasive. As I mentioned, the tests are going to be done about the physical function. It's only going to take about half an hour, half of an hour of their time. And the samples are going to be done. It's only going to be blood, urine, and saliva sample. With regards to getting to the side of the study and coming out of the side of the study, we're going to be taking care of that. So yeah, so I, I think it's, it's a very exciting opportunity we have there. And I hope someone who really wants to know more about impairment of cannabis or wants to be a part of generating results for the study should definitely try to kind of approach uh, the team or approach me. I'm more than happy to go over the process again with anyone who's interested, either by phone or by email. And before any participants would start or is, is interested in starting uh, being part of the study, we do have a proper consent form, meaning that the consent form will have details exactly on what is expected of the study, what is expected of them, and what is expected after they finish the study. And that's going to be explained to them line by line, detail so they have no doubt about anything. Great. Well, why don't you give those contact details right now for everybody listening so they can jot them down and give you a contact if they're interested in participating. Yeah, for sure. So um, uh, anyone who um, is interested, uh, can contact me. So my name is Wasim Abu Ashur. Uh, my, my email is WM, as in Mary, AA75 at MUN.ca. So that's my email. Uh, my phone number is 709-769-6149. Feel free to contact me by email or phone, and I'm more than happy to kind of discuss this further for you. 
Right on. And anybody who doesn't catch that in time, you can also reach out to us for the email for the radio show at wallshow at vocm.com. And I'll be able to connect you with Wasim about the research as well. Uh, thank you so much for joining us today. It's it's really interesting. I'm really excited to see how it all turns out. I'm sure there'll be lots of people that are keen to participate. So uh, thanks for joining me today, Wasim. Thank you for having me, Mike. Appreciate it. Thank you to my guests for joining me today. Just to recap what we shared, the research we're doing is testing the impact of cannabis ingestion and impairment on infrequent users. Now this is defined as people who have used cannabis at least once before in their life or use it approximately once a month or less. The testing will include several different time periods over the course of one, three, six, 12, 24 and 48 hours, as well as seven days after ingestion. Now this is done to see how long the impairment lasts. Now, if you're interested in participating, you can contact Wasim at WMA75 at Mun.ca, or you can contact The Wall Show on our social channels, and we'll be sure to put you in contact with them to get more information. Well, that's our show this week. I'm your host, Dr. Mike Wall. We'll see you back here next week for another episode of The Wall Show on your VOCM. <laughs>